Again, everyone, I'm Rob Danish at the University of Waterloo, and this is Now We're Talking, a podcast about communication skills. And following up on the last episode, we're going to talk about uh, abstract and concrete word choice. And uh, it really goes well with our last episode. And it's, I think I said last episode that word choice was my favorite thing to talk about. This is kind of uh, another uh, favorites of mine to talk to my students about. We just talked about it yesterday in class, actually. Uh, and I think it's the simplest and most direct way to immediately improve all of your writing and communication practices also. So I've got here with me Carly, who's another one of my students, and she's going to help talk to us about uh, how to make better abstract or better concrete cho- word choices instead of abstract ones. Hi, Carly. Hello again. Um, yeah, so today we're going to talk about abstract, abstract and concrete words. Um, something we talked about when we met with Rob last week, actually, was that concrete words give a lot more information about who the writer is and what their intent is. And so as the podcast continues, we might talk a bit more about how that can be used strategically and then also the pros and cons of using abstract words um, and concrete words. Uh, as kind of an example that I thought about is when I was in elementary school, I did a lot of poetry writing. And I remember at the time thinking, my work will seem much more grand and philosophical if I use very abstract words, because I think as a writer, Um, using concrete words gives a lot more indication of biases and positionality. And I think that's why it can be um, intriguing as a writer to want to use more abstract words because it takes away from who the person is that's writing. I also think that the to follow up on the last episode, in the last episode we were talking about a friend of another student of mine named Megan. She has this friend who's going to be in university soon and he was trying to to work with a thesaurus to get more complicated words because he thought his professors would be impressed. We often think that, uh, and more complicated words are often more abstract. They're harder to, to see or to feel or to touch. We often think that abstractness can be a signal of some kind of intellectual ability. Um, that It's not true. They're not necessarily a signal of anything. Sometimes when they're used correctly, sure, but they're not necessarily a signal of that kind of intellectual ability. So... Uh, sorry, I interrupted. Oh, it's okay. That's perfectly kind of the direction I was taking it. I know as a student writing academic papers, a lot of the time when there's crunch time and when you're trying to get something in at the last minute or trying to meet a word count, it's so tempting to just throw in a ton of additional abstract words um, and just fluff it up a little bit so that it's harder to tell what the actual intent is and what your goal is and instead cover it up with the terminology you learned in class uh, and things like that so it looks better. I know I used to just like pull from our textbook, the index at the back, and see where I could throw extra words in here or there so the prof would think things were written more accurately. Generally, that worked. Okay, <laughs> again, I've never, I know a lot of professors, I hang out with a lot of them, and never heard anyone say, oh, we wish these essays were more fluffy or <laughs> fluffed up more with words from the index. That doesn't happen. The thing that happens is we ask for more clarity and never more fluffiness. Yeah, to be so, fair, this was high school essays. So. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe high school teachers want fluffiness, but we don't want, I don't want fluffiness. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's the point. Usually people aren't just scanning to see impressive words because concrete words carry a lot more value and they carry a lot more weight. Generally, concrete words are also much more memorable. As soon as the reader has a visual of what you're trying to tell them, they can commit that to memory more easily 
and recall it when they're thinking about it later. Maybe we should be careful and make an initial distinction between the meaning of the word abstract and the meaning mm -hmm. of the word concrete. So when we're using abstract words, I'm thinking about words that don't have a physical, concrete, material reference in the world. So my favorite abstract word is thing. Uh, thing can be literally any material object in the world. So we don't have much control over what an audience thinks when you use the word thing. Uh, versus, say, I'm, looking, I'm staring right now at a blue pen, uh, a blue pilot pen. That has a real material referent in the world. So the concrete words have these real material reference, and abstract words don't, essentially. Another way that we had learned that in one of my English classes in first year was they talked about the abstraction ladder and they'd have us pin a very vague word and then give it at five different stages being more and more abstract. So with the pen, it could be the thing, the pen, the blue pen, and like that until you eventually got to a very, very uh, concrete version of the word that you'd started with. I like that class. That was a good class. Yeah. Whoever was teaching that knew what they were doing. <laughs> so. English, yeah, English 109. Don't remember the answer though. <laughs> Um, something that I, I was looking through some of my texts trying to find examples of my friends using concrete and abstract words, and a trend that I saw the most frequently is when people weren't ready to commit to a plan, they'd use really abstract words, whereas when people were ready to commit to a plan, they use concrete words. For example, if you said, oh, uh, sometimes my friends would text me and say, we should get together sometime soon, or let's hang out next week those plans usually weren't ones that were followed through on. Or if friends would text me, let's get coffee. Are you free 1 p.m. on Tuesday? So giving a very concrete and exact example, those are the plans that usually usually came through. And I think that's because concrete words also have a sense of accountability and exactness because they're, they're more specific. I think also, uh, maybe you're going to talk about this later, but the higher the level of concreteness, usually we judge the person using that concreteness as having more authority or being more that the directness lends to their ethos is the simplest way to put it. Um, so we don't, we're not likely to trust someone that says, oh, you want to hang out sometime. But if someone says you want to have coffee at one o'clock on, on Wednesday, they're speaking from a position of authority and you can trust that they will be free and will go to coffee at that time on that day. Um, so the authority is built from concreteness also. Yeah. Um, something that also carries through too is personally, we're in job applications right now through Waterloo Works because our university really emphasizes co-op. Um, and I was talking to some of the SICA advisors and one of the first things they tell you if you go in for a resume critique is to choose very, very concrete and authoritative words when you're doing your uh, job bullet points, more information about your jobs. And they go to the point where they have like a, a list online of the 40 concrete words they think are acceptable. So it's an interesting approach. I didn't know that, but I, I'm glad to hear it. They're doing it right. <laughs> I'm glad that my university is supporting students correctly. So. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of a neat thing. Um, I was looking through job postings too this week, and something I noticed was, um, just for some context, we can see how many people have applied to each job, and they're available to all the students. Um, and when I was looking through postings, I noticed that the positions that had most applications were the ones that had very concrete examples of what the benefits of the position were. For example, they'd say snacks once a week, uh, flex time hours, and this, as opposed to saying innovative tech company with great uh, company culture, which was also seen often. So the ones that had the most applications had concrete benefits, but abstract requirements. So the ones that asked for specific softwares or um, specific uh, past experiences, 
were less likely to be applied to than the ones that said, we're looking for a fun, creative person who can join our team. So I feel like that kind of indicates that it requires a certain degree of accountability when they have the requirements to be concrete, but it's easier for people to visualize and remember a position if the benefits are concrete. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So do you have some more examples for us like, like those? Um, yeah, well, another thing that kind of came to mind is I've worked in nonprofit before, and a big part of nonprofit is maintaining donor and supporter relationships. Um, and a big way that they do that is through writing mass emails. And something we did while I was there is we made all of the email words and content much more specific because we found if you send someone an email that says, we really need your support. Thanks for supporting us in the past. Email us today. You don't really get a reply as often as saying, oh, hey, Rob, thanks for donating $20 last May for this initiative. We really appreciated that. And it allowed us to do blank with that money. Yeah, so the, the here um, we're seeing that concreteness is also a measure of the specificity of the message. So in those cases, the specific details are, uh, are materially real, like you can see them, you can touch them, you can remember them. And that specificity has this kind of weight on the audience, especially, and we know this in persuasion, especially if you've donated in the past. So I, 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 my, uh, I bought a car recently I bought two cars in the last six years. And the first time I bought the car, uh, it's a very simple experience. They never, they would send me afterward in the mail, um, you know, uh, congratulations on your car and like the, the happy holidays or something, nothing. In it. And then this Christmas, I just bought a new car and um, the, the guy, that, the company that sold me the car, they sent me two bottles of wine. And they said in the, in the letter, you bought your car blank, 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 like, and they described it ideally on the, the day and they used my first name, et cetera. Those details, and we know this from studying um, persuasive car salesmen, that I will m- much more likely to go back to that place to buy another car than, than the first place. It's something about the specificity that draws or connects with the audience that is absent with abstract language. Mm-hmm. I even, uh, I always think about this in the context of like saying thank yous and apologizing or giving critiques on other people's writing. Um, in that same English class that we talked about earlier, they really emphasized using abstract and specific words when giving critiques. So rather than saying, your essay was confusing, saying, this part of your essay made me think blank, and I was confused by that. I guess that's yeah. more around the specificity yeah. realm. Yeah, no, it's all, it's all related. So the, the idea here is that, um, so concrete language is specific. Uh, that's, they're, they're related. And what concrete words and specific words can do that abstract words can't do is that they can powerfully affect or connect with an audience um, in a way that an abstract word just it just can't accomplish the same the same outcome. Um, so even if it's an essay or an email or uh, a car company, you know, sending a, a holiday gift, the level of detail and the concreteness of the language will affect an audience differently than the abstract and than abstract language will. Yeah, I remember you given an example um, in the section about songs, and you gave like a Bob Dylan song and a Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah, so my favorite thing in class is to make fun of, of Bob Dylan, uh, make fun of Bob Dylan, and to celebrate Bruce Springsteen. Um, and so, uh, Bruce Springsteen, if you listen to his music, is so concrete. Everything is like uh, a person sweating with a shovel in his hand and a blue shirt and 
driving in a specific kind of car, you, for me, when I listen to the music, I can materially see and feel those things. When I listen to Bob Dylan, I hear um, general abstract poetry uh, that's I can, aiming for something very grand, but I can never really feel that music effectively in, in the same way. It seems like Bob Dylan's trying very hard to say something very profound. And for me, it seems like Bruce Springsteen is trying very hard to describe something real. And that kind of real material reality that he's accounting for uh, lands as an audience member in a different way than a Bob Dylan song would. Um, now, I know that my students don't like this. Not all of my students like this. I get a lot of pushback about how wonderful Bob Dylan is, whatever. Uh, I don't I don't see that. I see, I see an absence of concreteness, which is a, an absence of an attempt to emotionally impact an audience. I also, I was thinking about that example more, and it kind of made me think, I feel like, the more specific a song lyric is, the more polarized the opinion about it can be. I've heard songs that are like very specific and will paint a really exact story, and then after I've listened to it once, I'm like, oh, I'm done with that story. But at the same time, I feel like those also have a more emotional buy-in if yeah. you do connect with it. So the, the complicating factor is that when you, um, when you heighten the level of specificity in the concrete detail, you're taking a risk that the audience may or may not be able to connect with or relate to that detail. So in class, we often do little exercises where the students have to practice this. And I'm old now, so I can't really relate very effectively to my students. I found out yesterday that a bunch of my students were born in the year 2000, which I found baffling. And they gave these little things with details in them that I, I had no, I couldn't connect up with. But their other classmates could. So you run that risk. And as a songwriter, if you're, a fo if you're, if you're articulating a detail that maybe large portions of your audience can't connect with, it might not be ideal. But I would say that you're maximizing the possibility of emotional affect by choosing at least higher degrees of concreteness uh, versus higher degrees of abstractness. If it's too specific, yes, it might miss with an audience. Um, but at least you're choosing a higher degree of, of concreteness versus a higher degree of abstraction. Yeah, and then in the long term, it will be much more me memorable too because they've been able to visualize that and see it through. Um, let's see. I think you had some design examples too. Yeah. So, uh, in one of my classes, we were talking about error messages and whether or not they're effective. And a really common error message people experience when they're signing up for a service or a website is they'll write their password and it will just say unacceptable password, not good enough. But they were saying the more specific your terminology is, the easier, more easily huh. people can solve those problems. Yeah. So it allows you to kind of identify what's going on and get more information up front and make the changes as you go rather than just saying, oh, this password was incorrect. It wasn't good enough. So what did they say instead? Uh, so they're saying, rather than saying error, yeah. if someone types an invalid password, the best would be say it would be to say, uh, you must use this special character huh. or you're this close to having a successful password okay. and give you information along the way, which Great. is kind of neat. That's interesting, yeah. Um, they also kind of talked about... Uh, I, I saw a connection between visual hierarchy and abstracting concrete words in word choice because I think certain very uh, concrete words jump out at you and you recognize them more easily. And that's kind of like when you see an email, personally, I usually scan it before I read it. And it's the concrete words, like if I see a date or if I see a time, those things jump out more easily. Huh. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that yet with the error message, but it's interesting. <laughs> Definitely watch out for it. It's, it's an interesting one for sure. Um, let's see. Any other examples you want to share? Um, well, a kind of an example I was thinking of uh, is in a lot of cooking instructions, they can vary in how specific they are. And when 
people are like just learning to cook, sometimes the very specific recipes can be intimidating because you don't want to, um, like there's different terminology they'll use for different cutting methods and things like that. Um, but later on, sometimes very ambiguous language can be confusing. I just think if it was like for an Ikea building manual, you'd want the most specific language, but you also don't want to like... Yeah, I mean, think about the difference between telling someone to use some sugar in a brownie <laughs> recipe versus a cup of sugar in a brownie <laughs> recipe. I mean, it, it, it might be intimidating to hear a whole slew of detailed uh, concrete uh, ingredients, but if you just hear some or a pinch or a little bit or, uh, I don't know, a bunch, uh, <laughs> that's going to be really complicated to follow or to understand and I doubt very much you'd even try to make the recipe if that's what how the recipe was was designed or or described. Yeah, um, if you guys, any of you list your listeners, are looking for some entertaining cooking videos, there's a segment on YouTube called "You Suck at Cooking," and it kind of connects the word choice one mentioned last week. You because... suck at cooking. <laughs> yeah, okay. so it's um, a video of this person, and they'll always do different recipes. But what makes it entertaining and humorous is that they always choose weird words. So I know last week. Yeah. You'd suggested use the weirdest word choice you can think of. Yeah. Whenever they're stirring something, they'll say they're wang, j- wang jangling it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, that that's what we were talking about in the last episode too. We use the example of awkward for a description of when you're walking past someone and you don't know which side to pass and you pause awkwardly. Oh, um, so, I, and I was encouraging people to be more playful with their choice of of words and see what effect that has. Um, so yeah, that, okay, that, that's fine. <laughs> I'll have to check that. I have not seen that on YouTube, so. It's a good one, for sure. I think that's uh, so I guess the, the broad rule of thumb that we like to use in class is that you should choose the more concrete word uh, over the more abstract word. Whenever you're presented with a choice, pick the more concrete word. Um, that's the rule of thumb. Anything else that you want uh, to say to summarize, Carly? Uh, yeah. So actually, can I share one quick exercise sure. they can try out? Yep. Um, so an exercise we suggested was if you write out three related sentences, underline each noun, verb, or adjective, and then think of two ways you could make each word more specific and concrete. Choose the more concrete of the two options and then reread your sentences and consider the effect that your new sentences will have compared to the original sentences. Yeah, that gets us into, we do an, an exercise in one of my classes, uh, especially around verb choice. So uh, people write with the verbs to be and to have a lot. So X is something, Y has this. And to be and to have are actually quite abstract verbs. So I have them, I ban those two verbs. <laughs> and they have to choose the most concrete verb they can think of as the main verb of every sentence. And then they have to make sure that the noun of the sentence is as concrete as possible also. So that kind of exercise is exactly the sort of thing that we do in class. And it's actually, they find it, students find it really, really hard because it's hard to write without to be and to have. I speak a little bit of French and I can't, like if I did not, could not use to be and to have in French, I, I don't know if I'd be able to carry on a conversation. But it challenges you to think about the specificity of verbs in, in particular are kind of the engine of a sentence. And when those are, are specific, you'll find instantly that you're having different effects on audiences. So yeah, that's a great exercise to try. Um, any other last words, Carly, or, or is that, <laughs> I th- you're I out? that's all. I'm okay, done. great. Thank you. So thanks everyone for listening. And uh, I think that we'll be making a bit of a transition. I think we've, we're done talking about writing for right now, but I'll come back to it at some point in some later episodes. So uh, thanks again for listening, and I hope everyone has a good week. Thanks, Carly. Bye.